0: our passage for today first john chapter 2 verse 28 now little children abide in him so that when he appears we have may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what it will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And Lord, we thank you for this, this text. Lord, help us now as we begin our study, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. I don't know about you guys. This whole study of Christ's coming, his return, uh, it's not something I grew up with. It was a foreign sort of topic to me. Uh, and if you follow the news, when it does come up, if you're not a believer, it, it comes up almost in a, in a comical sense or a bashing sense of christians i remember a few years ago thumbing through the union tribune there was a ap article about a guy in florida who thought he saw the lord's return and so he crawled out of his sunroof on the freeway and then basically launched himself in the sky or or attempted to and i remember reading this going oh man are you serious like i and i was I'm like I. I was just kind of dumbfounded. It, it, and this was in the last five years. And, and then I remember talking to people about this. Like, I can't believe this. It's like, what are people doing? And then it, a few weeks later, it came out that the the story was a hoax. If you can believe that, that nobody jumped out of their sunroof and no, this never happened. It was an attempt to kind of make humor of a, a Christian doctrine. And then then this year there's the group the herald camping the may 22nd going out and doing all of this stuff and i don't necessarily endorse what they were doing anytime i a date set i can almost assure you that it's not that date but i remember in the big media outpouring over may 22nd and the 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 lord's return of that day christians wanting to distance themselves from this group started almost her harassing them teasing them i was uh, guilty as the next guy but then it dawned on me that as we're making fun of them we're also trying to separate ourselves from this this scriptural doctrine of of the lord's return and so today as we look into this i i i don't want to start just at this passage i want to look at what does the bible sort of say and so to do this uh, we need to back up to acts and so Phil, you found your place i will turn over to acts chapter one I want to sort of ease in to what the Apostle John has to say, mainly because when the Apostle John speaks in 1 John, it's 60 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. He's 95 years old. He's the last of the the apostles that's still remaining. Paul's writings Luke's writings were written some 20 years prior to his so the church had understanding of these writings already and he's adding to it um, some have said that that Paul explained what would happen in the rapture or the second coming of the Lord which are two different things which I'm going to try my very best to not get us more confused um, some of us are further along our study studying this area than others uh, but Paul explains it and then john sort of tells us well the so what how do we live our lives in this this expectant sort of place and as we look at acts beginning at verse six acts is part two of luke's gospel he he sort of ties the end of the gospel of luke and acts they sort of overlap they don't give um identical word for word verbiage in their the beginning the last chapter of luke and the beginning chapter of acts but they, they give the same sort of information, sort of tying the two books together. Uh, Jesus had lived his life. He had he, he'd been crucified. He was buried for three days. He resurrected from the dead. And then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And on this last day, in verse 6, we read, So when they had come together, they were asking him. Uh, this is the apostles. They, they had been walking with the resurrected christ they'd come to what's believed to be mount of olives which is on the far side of the temple of jerusalem you go down there's kedron valley and then you go up the hill Uh, it's believed possibly that this is where the location was they have questions for jesus this resurrected jesus and what they ask him is lord is at this time Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? The the apostles trying to figure out the the grand scheme of what was going on in the prophetic scheme of God from from Daniel to Isaiah had, had foretold that the Messiah would come. As Jesus is performing miracles, those that followed him, those who saw the miracles, there was a group that was ecstatic that the Messiah had come, that they would be set free from the chains of the Roman authority, that the Messiah would would get free them from their oppression, would restore their nation, which they haven't had since they were taken into exile. They wanted To have dominance over the world, and they say, "Hey, the Messiah is here! It's the time! It's the time!" And Jesus, like, "You guys are missing it. You guys are missing it." And now the resurrected Christ and the apostles still don't really get it at this time. But they said, "Lord, is it now? Today we're taking our trip up to go visit Anna's grandpa. We used to go once a month, but now the baby came. We've we've kind of slowed up." And I I know that what I'm going to hear in this five hour trip over and over and over again, are we there yet? We're not even to Fallbrook, guys. <laughs> like San Luis Obispo is a long way to go. Are we there now? No, we're not that. We're not, not yet. We have a long way to go. Sit back, enjoy the ride, kids. And I, and I get this picture of them like, Lord, is this it? Is this, is this when the kingdom is going to appear? And Jesus tells them in verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. He said, listen, guys, it's not don't worry about when 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 the kingdom will be established. What I need you to do is I need you to go to Jerusalem. He says he, he clearly indicates that they haven't received the spirit yet, that that Pentecost hasn't happened. He says, go there and wait, which is coming. But he, he's going to say you will receive the spirit and the spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to have my power. And I want you to go out to all of the world sharing the good news the death burial and resurrection of christ that he died for our sins that he he was raised from the dead to overcome the sting of death and that this is good news he said guys focus on this and after he said these things he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received them out of their sight have you guys seen like when when you were a kid i've never actually really released a balloon but I've seen balloons kind of floating in the sky and you follow them and you follow them and you look until they get so small and they normally drift away out of your sight. This is the picture. They're there. He, he says, go to Jerusalem. Wait. The spirit's going to come upon you. You receive power. Then you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the remotest part of the earth. And then he starts. I mean, I just get this picture of this slow moving image up into the sky and. And they're going, what in the world? is This is not something that we see ever. And as he's going up, all of a sudden, clouds kind of surround him, and he disappears. And they don't stop looking. They're like, we, what is going on? And as they're standing there, verse 10, and they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, And behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, they asked one of the funniest questions in the Bible, in my opinion. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Did you just see what happened? We're staring into the sky because the Lord, who 40 days ago was executed, or 43 days ago was executed on the cross, he was buried. He then appeared to us, and we've been walking with him for, four, for 40 days. And, and now he just floats up, and you're asking, Why are we looking in the sky? Is this a rhetorical question? Or is this something you really want us to answer? And they continue, and they say, This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And it says, Then they go to Jerusalem they wait there for 10 days everybody's in this upper room and they're waiting pentecost happens all of the jewish people from around the world are there worshiping at pentecost the spirit comes upon them and the church takes off and my point of going here is the first thing we look at from the lord's return is that the apostles the early church fathers when they left from the ascension and all through the New Testament writings, there's this eager expectancy that the Lord would return soon. There is no other prophetic event that we're waiting for, for his return to happen. There are some that look for certain things that, oh, if these things happen, then he's going to come back. Well, from what i see in scripture the only thing that needs to happen before his coming is his coming and and they they preach this we read last week john saying this is the last hour there's there's no more events what we're looking for is his return and when he comes he's coming this is motivating us from here we turn over to the first thessalonians chapter four this is paul's writing paul came on scene he would meet jesus later he would be the apostle to the church this is a brilliant you know we most people like to relish on the apostles being just blue collar men fishermen tax collectors Uh, paul is the exception paul was a scholar amongst scholars He studied under Gamaliel, which which means nothing to us, but this is an Ivy League school of Ivy League schools. Today we get accepted into schools, then you were accepted to study under a teacher. And Gamaliel was the most elite rabbi that you could study under. Paul studied under him. He was advancing amongst all Jews in Judaism. It was thought that he would one day become the leader of the Sanhedrin. And as he writes this church in Thessalonica, if we could turn to slide just to orientate you guys. Here we have Israel, Jerusalem. John wrote from Ephesus, First, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He was, they attempted to kill him, and then he was exiled over to Patmos. Thessalonica is over here in modern-day Greece where Paul spent a little bit of time. You can go back to the previous slide. And what was going on is he reached these guys for Christ. And then they started suffering extreme persecution. Believers were dying. And, and they started asking him the question, well, what, what do we make of these brothers and sisters in Christ who are now dead? Death is one of these things that cuts us to the quick. It's, we're, not, we're not designed to handle death. And so when we see a loved one or anyone that's dead... Something deep within us says, this isn't right. We're not not able to handle this. And that's because we weren't designed to die. Sin entered the world, and with sin, death came. And so Paul, writing the the, the church in Thessalonica with the letter that we have Thessalonians from, verse 13, we pick up, and Paul begins right away with this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, the bible uses term asleep for death we're not talking about people that are you know took too much ambien the night before and they're sleeping off the whole day i think ambien hopefully that's a sleeping one i don't shouldn't be all these commercials in my head but but he's like we don't want you to be informed we i I want you to understand this whole what happens at death This is important. I want you to have understanding your brothers and sisters that are dead so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. I I don't know if you guys have had the distinction of going to to a non-Christian, non-believing funeral. Contrasted with with a Christian funeral, they're starkly different. I remember as a young believer uh, there I'd been to a number of funerals mostly military related that that were God was not a part of the whole thing and and there was just a a, a, no hope no emptiness and then I I went to Carlos Marcus knows Carlos this is the lady who is the children worker at the rock church she died of pancreatic cancer and then after church, they had the memorial service. And for years following the funeral, I accidentally would refer to her funeral as, as her wedding. And I was kicking me a gun and it wasn't her wedding. That was, and I'm like, oh, but the feeling was just so like much joy. And it's not to say that there wasn't grieving. Don't let people tell you that Christians aren't supposed to grieve. No, we grieve. But it says that we don't grieve as those with no hope. Of course we're sad. Death stings. The Bible records Jesus weeping twice. One of them is at Lazarus' death. Jesus is weeping at the sting of death. And he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Paul says we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe... That Jesus died and rose again. This is the jugular vein of Christianity. What do we believe about Jesus? The gospel is defined by the Apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll look at later today. He says that the gospel is that Jesus died according to the scriptures. And when he's writing about the scriptures, he's speaking of the Old Testament, these passages that that foretold of his death, namely Isaiah 53 is the big one, the suffering servant, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third death, he was raised, that this is the gospel, that in believing in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, that's where our hope come from. And he says, for if, and we do, Believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in. You could translate this word in through or by that when people die, it's not outside of God's timing. It's actually God is the one by his grace, letting us pass from this life to the next. In Christ. This surfaces a question that I get as a pastor all the time, Name, namely during death or after the death of a loved one. Is it OK to cremate somebody? What a, my my loved one was in, you know, from the military was blown up and we already died at sea. We can't find his remains or or we how is is it God going to be able to handle this? first off cremation is just a, a, a rapid decomposition of the body and if you cremate somebody's ashes and you scatter them partway in the ocean somewhere and you put them on the east coast somewhere else god has no problem pulling together the body back together like it's it's totally within his capacity there was one pastor when i was a young believer i was in hawaii was the funniest guy i'd ever heard speak Uh, here i am this navy seal i finally get to go to church and this this guy's missing like fingers he was missing a foot i think he was missing like an an ear or an arm like he was had multiple like parts of his body lost over the course of his life and he said something that i'll never forget he said you know what God's taken me to heaven one piece at a time. <laughs> I was like, oh, brother, that's hilarious, you know? But if Jesus died and he rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Guys, if you have a, a, a loved one who loved Jesus and they died, Jesus isn't done. It's not the end of the story. He goes on to say, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. When he lays out the order to those that are concerned about those who are dead, that what about them? We're, we're waiting for the coming of the Lord, but is it just going to be us and they're going to kind of miss the boat? And Paul assures them, like, Listen they're safe and sound in recent weeks i was asked the question what about those who are christians their their body is here but what about their soul are they floating around are they kind of lost until what what does the bible say about this well the same author of this paul in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 he says we are of good courage i say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the lord so we see in the scripture that when one dies, Hebrews nine twenty seven is another place. When we die, our soul is our immaterial is separated from our material. Our bodies are stay. Our soul immediately goes with to the Lord if you're in Christ. Hebrews nine twenty seven it says, It's appointed for a man to die once and at that time to face judgment. There's no there's no waiting line at death it's immediately standing before the lord and paul has told us that okay if you're absent from the body you're present with the lord those bodies that remain of those believers what happens with them and he says at the coming of the lord the dead will rise first verse 16 he says for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first so we get, first off, this, as this a day happens, as life is going, there's going to be this loud sound. This 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 trumpet of God co-mingled with the angel, I want to read this, uh, the voice of the archangel. I have no idea what is going to be said, but it's going to be loud. At this point, the dead in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ and have passed away, that are buried around you know, cemeteries around the world that are scattered at sea. They're going to rise first. And then those who are alive will follow. Another great funeral I went to. I was just leaving. I think I just finished Bible college seminary. And I started reading a good book. I was up half the night. And I had to go to this funeral that was a friend of Anna's family. So I didn't really know the guy. But after his funeral, I felt like I knew him. He was a former uh, priest. He was a, he was a Carmelite uh, of the Carmelite order. And then after like 15 years of, of serving as a priest, he left Catholicism to become like an evangelical pastor. Fascinating guy. I've read his book. His name's, uh, you know, I think they called him Black Bart. Was Bart Brewer was his name. And this was the longest funeral I'd ever been to. They had like 15 guys that he had led to the Lord and then became pastors. There were nuns from the Catholic Church that were speaking about it. it. went on and on and on. Each pastor was only supposed to speak for five minutes. You want to know how well that worked out? Each one thought they said, you know, like five hours. <laughs> and the time's going on. And then the last guy was the president of my seminary who shared here, um, Dr. George Hare. For those of you that have met Dr. George Hare, he's an elderly man. He has something with his back where he's sort of hunched over. And he starts speaking, and he speaks from this text. And he's like, well, I have, I have my thoughts on why the dead in Christ will rise first. And I go, oh, I better pay attention. This is the president of my seminary. Wake up, Gunnar. And he said, I think they have six feet further to go than the rest of us. So they need a head start and I remember going, that's awesome, so you can use humor in this, but we don't know, but we but it's definitely stuck in my head. He's got a doctorate. he's definitely been walking with the Lord for a long time. He bleeds the Bible when he speaks, and this man says, "Well, they do have a little bit further to those of us that are above terra firma than are below terra firma, so maybe that's why they go first. Maybe it's to awaken those that hadn't believed and see this at the last moment to like, oh." I believe now I I don't know I just know what it says but as this event happens we're told that the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who remain will be caught up so there's not this picture of him in verse 17 it says then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so this is sort of a different picture than what we see in acts one in acts one it says that as you see him depart is how you'll see him return here we see this picture of there's this loud shout the voice of the angel the dead in christ are going up and then those who remain will be caught up and this is where the word rapture comes from this caught up it's it's from a latin word raptura and then you know the rapture is born out of that so there's a distinction and i and this is where if if you're barely catching up you know seminary they say is like taking a sip out of water from a fire hydrant there's probably three people in here who care about this and so for the rest of us you can kind of just hang on but but in the first in acts chapter one what i believe is that this is the second coming of the lord the 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 prophecies from daniel there's a prophecy there relating to the 70 weeks 69 of these weeks have happened between 69 and 70 there's been this pause the 70th week has to happen there's a bunch of prophetic events that will unfold and then the 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 kingdom of israel will be restored their messiah will reign and rule will enter into the millennial kingdom But this one seems distinct, and this is a very left-handed, loose, all we know from this. But it seems different because everybody's caught up with him. The church is taken out, and I believe that God's plan with Israel is continued. God is not done with Israel. And we're told that we'll be caught up into heaven or caught up into the sky with the Lord. And we're told in verse 17, always, I have that circled, highlighted we will always be with the Lord. And the issue of the coming of the Lord, as Paul describes this, it's, it's really sh- unfortunate what it's turned to in our world and, and, and Christian circles. This has become something that Christians argue about and, and get in fights over and squabble about. And we try to draw our, our, our prophecy charts and try to get schematics to lay it all out in simplicity. But verse 18, we learned that that's never why God gave this to us, why he revealed this to us. The reason he says this is, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The hope of the coming of the Lord, that he's not done working here. He rose from the grave. He's still working. He's coming back. The world is not as it should be or it will be when he restores things fully. We look forward to his coming. We we eagerly anticipate that day. And when we bury our loved ones and we sink them into the ground, when our hearts just know that something isn't right about that, we have hope because their bodies are going to be restored. John's going to unpack this day that Paul is talking about this word that he says, this coming of the Lord, John uses the same word when he refers to the coming. That he he basically Paul wrote that twenty years prior. The church very clearly was eagerly anticipating the coming of the Lord. They were living their lives based on the reality that the then they would face him, and that affect the now and how they lived out their lives. And as we pick up and First John chapter two, verse twenty eight. He says, now, little children, abide in him. All through his letter, he's saying, abide, walk closely with Jesus. Abide. What does that look like to this risen Lord that we can't see and touch? This word in the Greek, it's this picture of standing strong, being faithful, going the course there's a book on discipleship by Eugene Peterson, the author of The Messiah. I own the book. I haven't actually ever read the book. It's on my, it's on my to-do list. But the title of his book, On Discipleship, I think best explains this word abide. And, and, and the title of his book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, this picture of faithfulness that you stay steady, you walk the line over a course. Abiding with Christ, it, some of the things that seem so cliche in the Christian life. But abiding is relationship. That when we wake up, we, we, we pray to the Lord. We communicate with God. That we read his Bible. You can't get, if you're just coming to church and this is the time that your Bible's open, you can't get it. It's, it's, you're waking up saying, Lord, this is the day you've given me i want to rejoice and be glad in it and i can tell the condition of my heart whether i'm abiding by how i wake up in the morning there are days when i wake up and before i even step out of bed before my brain's even thinking straight i'm just like thank you lord for this day and there are other days i roll out of bed and i you know cranky because my feet hurt and i don't want to you know just get me a coffee and i want to read the paper check the stock market it's like oh i haven't even like like i'm not abiding with the lord in these moments and often it's those spells of when i'm not abiding then it's like why is everything not going right when was the last time you prayed to me when was the last time you opened up the word not for work on but for just just so that i could speak to you and then as we pray, as we read, and then we walk in obedience with him, this is abiding. This is what he means. Little children abide in him. This is our, a grandfather speaking to us, this 95-year-old man speaking to the church. He wants so desperately for the followers of Christ to love him and to walk with him. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence here he's speaking of the coming of the Lord, that when he ha- appears that we would have confidence. Any time that God has revealed himself to humanity throughout the Bible, there's fear. Woe! I am a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord. But there's this picture of confidence that if as we're abiding in Christ, we have confidence. The definition of this Greek word. It almost knocked me off my chair laughing so hard. This is how it was defined by one lexicon. Confidence is boldness in a situation that might be intimidating. Do you think the appearing of the Lord might be intimidating? I'll be the first to raise my hand on that one. This this is the creator of the universe suddenly appears. You find yourself floating up the sky. If that's how it happens or you're in the grave... Or you're with him and all of a sudden your body pops in. But he's speaking to those who remain or are alive. That we're there. Suddenly we go up. I think that we might have a ton of fear. <laughs> but if we're abiding with him, if we're walking, we can have confidence. John tells us that if, if we're walking with the Lord, our hearts are right. When we sin, we confess, we repent. That when he appears, we just open our arms and leap up. But this confidence is contrasted. And not shrink away from Him and shame at His coming. This morning, I was asked a question about can we lose our salvation? And what I see all through the, the Scripture is that we're sealed in Him. If if you have, if you've accepted Christ, if you've believed upon Him, you've received the Spirit. You're sealed, and the fruit of the Spirit will begin manifesting. John, just last week, we looked at verse 19 where it said, well, we thought they were of us. They, they were a part of us. They, they, they were a part of the apostolic church. They were in your churches. They looked like they believed. But then they departed and we saw that they weren't really of us. But for those who have truly believed, you know, like, uh, like we're only mere humans. And Alistair Begg says all the time, the best of men are men at best. That we're not God. But if you've received Christ and if you have the spirit of God within you, you are not perfect. And you will sin and you can go into these periods of sinfulness is backsliding or whatever. And I believe in those moments, those believers that are not abiding in him, that when he appears, their first reaction isn't towards him, but is going to shrink away in shame. This picture here is so graphic and I know I want nothing more than when my God appears that I don't want to shrink away in shame. Spent my whole life lived in darkness. There's a saying in the seal team, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. My first reaction is I'm guilty or I've done something wrong. As a pastor, when people say, hey, can I speak with you? I'm like, oh, no. I kind of my instinct is to shrink away in shame because I've I must have done something wrong. But knowing that in Christ this these old these old things have passed away, and that I can walk in a way that I'm abiding with the Lord, and so can you, that when He appears we can have boldness and not shrink away from Him at shame at His coming. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. I want to be careful on this one. The last part of this verse is the most important. This new life, Christianity isn't about behavioral modification. So often in the church, we're more concerned with the externals. And if you don't know Jesus, you come to church or religious and you feel like you've got to fix the whole outside, that you've got to modify your behavior, that you fit into the Christian sphere. But everything that I see in the scripture, it's not about the externals. What it is, it's about a a changed heart. As John chapter 3 records Nicodemus to be born again, that when we come to understand Christ for who he is and our need for him, that when we believed, we're transformed. And it starts from the inside and the out. And when we've been transformed from the inside, it affects the external. It's not the other way around. If you try to modify your behavior simply for the sake of being good, You'll never accomplish it. You'll only fall short over and over and over again. None of us are perfect. Only Christ was perfect. And his righteousness through faith is imputed to our accounts. But if we're born again, then we desire to please him. We desire to walk like him. He chips away at us. And this isn't perfection, but it's a heart that's aimed for this righteousness that we want to be like him. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed, this great love. Bestowed, I remember back in Ephesians, this. Uh, it, I it says how he lavished upon us. All And I and when I looked at that word lavished, I, I said, oh, it's like Grace with her butter on her waffles in the morning that she just wants to, like, gouge it on. And the Johnson family, they were so funny because I think during that time I mentioned, oh, yeah, we just have, like, Country crock in there and Anna likes real butter and we didn't have a butter dish so they they went to Costco like the, the next week I came to church and there's a gift bag for me. I'm like, what's up with this gift bag? And then oh, it's actually Dave Johnson because I guess he likes lavishing his butter on his toast so he gave me a butter container holder and like Costco sized butter like all of the things from Costco so now, Now we have real butter in this real plastic dish on our counter. And every morning when I go there to pull, I think of, man, what he's lavished upon us. I see this where he bestowed this great love. He's so generous and gracious with us. John the Apostle, this fiery young man who's now an old man, that's whole life has been transformed, that he only speaks of himself as a man whom God loved. I'm just this guy that Jesus loved that his sermons at the end of his life were brothers love one another. That was his whole message. See how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are for this reason. The world does not know us because it did not know him. And as we receive the love of God, our hearts are transformed. It begins changing us. It cuts against the world. He says the world doesn't know his love. And if his love is transforming you, suddenly there's going to be this friction in the world. But our our desire, our mission is not to then combat against the world. Our mission is to share this love with the world that they might come to know the love of God. He continues. Keep having a hard time finding my. um, Verse three, the last verse. No, I'm sorry. Verse two, beloved. Now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is if you turn with me hold your place here go back to first corinthians chapter 15 i should have warned you guys about this one. one first corinthians chapter 15 is one of the great chapters on the resurrection it begins the first four verses with the explanation of the gospel paul this great persecutor of the church as he lays out that that the gospel is that jesus died according to the scriptures he was buried he rose again verses six or five through ten he lists all of the people that the risen christ had appeared to and then verses 11 through 22 i'm not going to read now but i'd encourage you to read this this great apostle paul the apostle of the church says listen if he didn't raise from the dead We Christians should be pitied more than anybody else because our faith is in vain. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there's no point living the Christian life. Go hog wild with your flesh. But he said, but Christ did rise from the dead. And then he goes all the way through all the way through chapter 15. And we come down to verse 50 where he begins speaking of this, these resurrected bodies John says, well, we don't know what it'll be like. And this is what what Paul says about it. Verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That's death. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all we will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immorality, immortality, big difference between immortality and immorality, then Will come about this saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He's quoting Hosea. That's Old Testament. This is the Bible is connected through and through. Verse fifty six, he says, "The sting of death is sin." That is what we feel at funerals. The sting. It just doesn't seem right. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is wonderful. We no longer have to fear death. And this last verse that I'm going to cover, at least 58, is this picture of abiding from Paul. Therefore, my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the lord we can lose it's easy to lose hope if you look around us it's easy to get discouraged but paul says look to the then keep being faithful serve him walk with him don't lose hope back to first john And we'll wrap up. So first John chapter three, verse three. He says, we will be like him. We will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And so there's this picture. As we look at his coming, we we have hope that he returns. We don't fear his return. We, we long for our, our Lord to return. I think about the spouses of those who are deployed. When they go away, they just have their hope fixed on their spouse to return. This is the image that God gives us from the church to, to our Savior, the bride of Christ. We long for his return. And as we long for his return, realizing that we'll stand before him one day. We purify ourselves. We submit ourselves to God and he chips away at our life. Our missionaries, the Georgies, who are in Florence, Italy. Andre, who is a Florentine. I've learned that people from from Florence are very proud to be Florentines. And their big thing in Florence is the Statue of David. And so everywhere you go, there's these little statues. Anna refused to let me buy the apron with the picture of David on it. She thought it would be inappropriate. I thought it was funny. Well, I, didn't, I didn't leave Italy with a picture of that, with that robe. Or not robe. When you, when you cook with those things, not robe. Aprons. I don't do a lot of cooking. And if I do, I don't use robes. I, uh, but so he's, he's taking us to all of this art showing in the city. I'm like, can we get a coffee? Like I'm more interested in the coffee in Italy than I am in like the artsy stuff. But then he's like, but brother, there's a story. And I, you, I don't even know if it's true because most stories aren't true. You, you guys can Wikipedia it and see if it's true. But the saying is Michelangelo, before he, he bought or the, the piece of or was given or whatever, the piece of marble that the, that, that David was chipped away, he, was, he saw a bunch of them. He's like, this one's it. Like how do you know that that block of marble is it? He said, well, I can see David in there. I'm just going to chip away everything that is not David. I have no idea if it's true, but it's a famous story that goes around about Michelangelo. And I I just see that this is the picture that God is doing in our lives. As we keep, keep our eyes focused on Christ, this whole purification process. This is Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I just picture God with us with that little block of marble chipping away everything in our lives that's not Christ-like, and that he's conforming us to his image. And as we close today, like there's just a couple things on the on the res- on this coming of the Lord. I think our hope, number one, is that God isn't done. It's easy to look around this world and say, this is it, huh? God's not finished he's moving in in our lives The, the reality is Christ is coming back and do you know him this is the most important question to answer have you come to a place where you know that you know him this is something we've looked at John saying you can know that you know him have you believed in Christ as savior are you walking with him For those of us that nod our head, yes, I know, Jesus, we need to abide in him, submit ourselves to him, talk to him, communicate to him through prayer. Let him speak to you through his word and then be obedient, this this steadfast, immovable faithfulness moving forward with him. And, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we long for your coming. Or at least I do. Father, I pray that as we look about our world, as we look at our lives, Father, I pray that you would help us to see Christ for who he is, that he'll be high and lifted up and that when he appears, we will bow. Every knee will bow. Every knee will confess that Christ is Lord. And Lord, for those of us who have confessed, Lord, I pray That you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on that day when we'll stand before you. Father, we pray that you would help us to live our lives preparing for that day. Father, I pray that you would meet each one of us right where we are. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your graciousness and mercy to us. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.